Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. The breathless Lynn Cullen, I'm sorry. I hope you're still there. I'm uh, yeah, just trying to catch my breath. That's a first. Dang it. Um, I should have known. Sort of crowded downtown where we sit, uh, given the uh, March Madness uh, and uh, big ceramic conference at the convention center. <laughs> I, who am really good at finding parking places, I mean, there was none to be had. And I have just been in the uh, seventh circle of hell, truly. Uh, that's the Oliver parking garage. We're going round and round and round and round, and they they give you a ticket, which leads you to believe there's spaces in there. Well, never mind. You, you've been there, done that. I am sorry. Boy. So, as as usual, <laughs> a lot, a lot of news. The Donald Trump, the gift that keeps on keeps on giving. Uh, where to start? Um, good news. Let's start with some good news, okay? Because I'm, I'm trying mightily and so far doing pretty well, uh, hanging on to my more zen-like, uh, outlook that I discovered on my February hiatus. So, um, the good news I saw today, uh, was the fact that the uh, FDA is actually just beginning, uh, and I mean just beginning, they've just publicly come out to say today that uh, they are going to look into doing something that has never been done anywhere in the world, and that is to mandate that cigarette manufacturers um, remove almost all of the nicotine from cigarettes. Now, you understand, doing that, um, I'm not certain what that does to the taste of a cigarette, but the nicotine, which is a naturally occurring substance in tobacco, in the plant, that can apparently be removed, extracted, that uh, nicotine is the addictive substance in tobacco. And so, they figure, removing that addictive substance will mean that fewer people, obviously, will become addicted to cigarettes. And that stopping smoking will be a whole heck of a lot easier, that there will be no physical withdrawal symptoms. They figure over over decades that literally millions upon millions of lives, millions of lives, will be saved. Um, I, I saw one uh, estimate that if you're a, a regular smoker, your odds of dying because of smoking are essentially 50%. Um, you're looking at a former three-pack-a-day smoker. 
Um, it's also been shown that even if you stop, you know, year, I, I stopped long decades ago, but it can still come back to get you. I find this, um, this would be uh, government uh, truly doing its best to safeguard uh, the public health. Um, so let's hope they do it. When I say this is just beginning, uh, what has happened is the Food and Drug Administration has put out uh, what is called, quote, an advance notice of proposed rulemaking. So <laughs> looking at all those uh, qualifiers, this is uh, not just a notice, it's an advance notice, and it's not a notice of rulemaking, but of proposed rulemaking. This is years and years down the line, um, but there is hope that if you take the extract the old nicotine, that you could push the smoking rate down to less than two percent of the adult population. I mean, that would be huge because uh, currently it stands at fifteen percent, and uh, I'm surprised it's that low because we have as a country done a pretty damn good job of uh of getting people off cigarettes this would be the the next big big step and understand that nicotine while it is the addictive aspect of smoking it is not what causes lung cancer or heart disease or any of that but what it that's just taking in <laughs> the the burning tobacco the tar all of that so um this would not make cigarettes more less lethal in that respect it makes them less addictive which means that fewer many fewer people would be hooked and those that are desperate to stop would uh, find stopping uh, much much less onerous so i i found when i stopped that I didn't feel that I was all that physically addicted. I must have been. My, my stuff, because my head is, is so much more, um, so much in many ways defines me more than my body, that my head, I felt it was more of a, a habitual, emotional, psychological thing rather than, you know, like, well, I can't possibly write this story if I don't have a cigarette in my mouth. I can't possibly... Uh, do this, uh, talk to somebody if I don't have a cigarette in my mouth. I can't possibly, and there are all these things that I thought that proved to be um, untrue. Okay, uh, that was the good news. Now let's get to the rest of it. Because <laughs> mostly, oh my God, of all the stories that hit since last we spoke, the one that really freaked me out the most, although it I can't say it surprised me. It's just that I hadn't, I mean, I've always known it's possible that, in fact, this is where uh, warfare will be waged, and that has to do with hacking and hacking into computers of, uh, of uh, enemy states' infrastructure, uh, literally stopping a country dead in its tracks rather than dropping bombs on them. And I guess the thing that freaked me out most was this uh, acknowledgement of something that our government has known, but ceased, uh, did somehow decided not to tell us, that uh, Russian hackers were not only messing with our democracy and our election, 
but they were also absolutely into uh, our control, computerized control of utilities, of nuclear power plants. Hello? And let me tell you something. What the government is telling us is they got in and they were fully capable of not only sh of doing anything they wanted. They were in. They could have shut down the plants. Uh, they were sitting on the ability to do that. Uh, and that means that they can do it. I, I hazard a guess that we are capable of doing the same to them. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, just sitting here, people acting on us. I'm sure we are uh, engaged in this kind of cyber warfare at, as well. But um, it means they have ability, the ability to get into, uh, you know, the most critical control systems of our infrastructure. As, as lousy as our infrastructure is, uh, and and they tell us to safeguard our friggin' computers. Well, God Almighty, here's what I want to know: if the government, if the people at the very top with the ability to bring in the best and minds of all can't safeguard their computers, how the hell are we supposed to? I just, I mean, it's why I'm sort of like, eh, eh with all of these breaches, yeah, so, um, I, I don't know, but uh, Russian hackers had the foothold they needed to manipulate or shut down American power plants. Computers, technology, it's a wondrous thing, but if you if you had a propensity toward paranoia <laughs> man this is not the time to be alive <laughs> this is you know you get on an airplane and the fact is somebody could be uh you know can hack the controls of of uh, air traffic control or even the planes themselves uh when we all get in our self-driving cars uh, very soon uh, those can be hacked. Our 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 signals on the on the roadways uh, can be hacked. Um, power plants, water facilities, electricity, um, all of our banks, the banking system, <laughs> go like that. So that was the most of all the things. That was the one that to me uh, was the most. Uh, inducing but um, let me see there was something I came across yesterday that just blew my mind and come to think of it it's another good thing and this I want to share with you um, this is a memo uh, that was sent on March 13th. 
so earlier this week, from the office of the District Attorney of Philadelphia to all of the people under him, the assistant DAs and the prosecutors, the folks who prosecute. Philadelphia uh, recently elected a new district attorney. And this guy is very different from the DAs they've had in the past. Would that someone like him run for office here? Uh, because he is a brave, brilliant, progressive. And he ran on stopping the craziness that goes on with district attorneys, prosecution, uh, jail sentences, abuse of parole, uh, abuse of, um, of keeping people in jail because they simply can't afford bail, all of this stuff, the stuff that just fills our prisons. And he vowed to put in a whole new regimen with the idea of stopping the insanity. Because every time you put someone in prison or keep somebody there, when there is no reason, no good reason to do it, you're ruining a life, okay? You're also costing the taxpayers a whole bunch of money that we do not have to be spending, that we could in fact spend on things like, oh, education, schools, on stuff that is positive, not punitive. And this memo goes on and on and on. I read the whole thing and I was like, I, I could not believe what this guy has done. He's upended. I'm sure there are assistant DAs, the lock them all up law and, you know, law and order types, uh, who are whose heads exploded when they got this memo. But anybody who understands the problem of mass incarceration in our country would have thrown a party when they saw it. And he flat out says at the top of this memo, he, he's putting in place new policies, telling his people what those policies are, and he starts off by saying, these policies are an effort to end, end mass incarceration and to bring balance back to sentencing. Um, and he goes on to say, look, where extraordinary circumstances suggest that an exception to these new policies is appropriate, you must get approval from a supervisor. That means no assistant DA goes off half-cocked and decides, well, I don't care what the policy says, this has, I'm doing, uh-uh. Nothing. It goes up the chain of command. 
And he flat out starts out by saying, we are going to decline to charge people with certain things. Number one, do not charge possession of marijuana. If somebody's got pot and it says regardless of weight, they got pot, we're not interested. Fascinating, given that the law in Pennsylvania hasn't caught up to that. Do not charge any of the offenses uh, resulting, uh, relating, excuse me, this is such small print, relating to paraphernalia um, or buying from a person where the drug involved is marijuana. Here he goes after prostitution. Do not charge prostitution cases against sex workers where a person who has been arrested has two or fewer prostitution convictions. Withdraw all pending cases in these categories that would be declined under this policy. He's saying, get this crap out of the courts. Can we get this crap out of the courts and deal with the real criminals? Ah. He goes on to say, we got to charge lower gradations for certain offenses. So where you used to go charge somebody up here, charge them down here. Retail theft is one of the things he's going after. Shoplifting. He is saying, if somebody shoplifts a pack of cigarettes and somebody else shoplifts a $900 item, those are not the same kind of crime and should not be charged in the same manner. And what he's doing here is a lot of these crimes, think about it, prostitution, shoplifting, these are crimes committed by who? Poor people. Poor people. And he's trying to stop what is a reality in this country, which is being poor often becomes a crime in our country. Our jails aren't overflowing with people of means. People of means like me, we smoke pot. I've smoked pot all my life. Have I ever been arrested? No. Ask some poor black kid. And we have the numbers that show that. And again, the DA in Philly says to his assistant DAs, all those prosecutors, and you must seek supervisory approval to charge uh, retail theft cases uh, at felony levels, even at misdemeanor levels. He says, remember, it's, it's amazing how he's talking to the assistant DAs. I mean, he certainly knows, knows them. Remember that a summary conviction permits a sentence of 90 days incarceration and fines up to $250. These penalties are sufficient 
to hold a shoplifter accountable. In other words, he's saying, we do not have to throw the book at people. And then he goes into this stuff, how he wants, he wants his DAs, he directs them to approach diversion with greater flexibility. Um, in other words, you get somebody, but rather than, again, doing the worst to them, how about diverting them into a program, uh, something so that for drug offenses, for DUI, and he specifically talks about DUI here, or people who have guns. Listen to some of the things he's saying that keep these people as much as we can out of our jails. He said, an otherwise law-abiding responsible gun owner who is arrested because he doesn't have a permit to carry the firearm may apply for consideration for diversion. In other words, okay, hey, buddy, this is wrong. Don't do that again. We're going to send you to this program where you got to learn something, right? Same as he says, a law-abiding first DUI. Do the same. Do the same. A defendant charged with marijuana delivery or possession with the intent to deliver. Do the same. And he says, and this is not a comprehensive list. None of this, by the way, these things do not exist necessarily here in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh. This, I don't think, exists probably pretty much anywhere. But the people who did this are the voters. The voters of Philadelphia put this guy in. And he was quite open about what his intentions were. Uh... He also says that, note, these policies do not apply to homicides, violent crimes, sexual assault crimes, felon in possession of a weapon, economic crimes with a loss of $50,000 or more, or cases involving attacks on the integrity of the judicial process, perjury, obstruction of justice, witness intimidation, all of these cases, blah, 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 blah. So he's saying, understand, I am targeting the stuff that fills our prisons with people who needn't be there. And then he goes into sentencing and what he wants them to start asking of the court. You know, we're used, even you see it in, um, in, the, in television crime dramas, how... The DAs, the prosecutors, they always ask the judge for the, the most onerous sentence, right? And he's saying, will you stop and think? And let me just read to you this, the DA's affiliates men memo to his, his people. The United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. It has increased 500% over just a few decades. Pennsylvania and Philadelphia have been incarcerating at an even higher rate than comparable states and cities for decades. So here 
it's been a 700% increase in a few decades. And Philadelphia has been the most incarcerated of the 10 largest cities. Yet, D.A. Kenny says, yet Pennsylvania and Philadelphia are not safer as a result. Pennsylvania and Philadelphia are wasting resources in corrections rather than investing in other measures that reduce, actually reduce crime. Pennsylvania's and Philadelphia's treatment of addiction. Wait a minute. Overcarceration. Their, their overcarceration have bankrupted investment in policing. He's saying all the money we're throwing into the jails is keeping us from throwing that money into, for instance, policing, which would perhaps prevent more crime. It's keeping us from investing in public education, in medical treatment of addiction rather than punitive treatment. Uh, it's, it's keeping us from putting in really good job training programs and economic development, all of which prevent crime more effectively than money invested in jails. Over-incarceration, says the Philadelphia District Attorney, also tears the fabric of defendants' familial and work relationships, both of which tend to rehabilitate defendants who are open to rehabilitation. What he's, he's outlining here, we are doing everything wrong. <laughs> everything wrong. As a result, he says, a return to lower rates of incarceration for those defendants who do not require lengthy sentences is necessary in order to shift resources to crime prevention. Ultimately, the highest goal of sentencing must be to seek justice for society as a whole while effectively preventing crimes in the future. At sentencing, assistant district attorneys must state, listen to this, must state on the record their reasoning for requesting a particular sentence. He's saying you can't just say, throw the book at him, Your Honor. Uh-uh. Explain. And those reasons must state the unique benefits and costs of the sentence. For example, safety benefits, the impact on victims, the interruption of defendants' connections to their family, to employment for needed public benefits, and the actual financial cost of throwing the book at somebody. In each case, says the Philly DA to his underlings, place the financial cost of incarceration on the record. This is policy now as part of your explanation of the sentencing recommended. And in talking about the financial cost to the taxpayers, use the following 
arguably low costs of incarceration. It costs, and this is on the low end, $42,000 per year to incarcerate one person. The actual cost, the DA says, uh, arguably is closer to $60,000 a year to incarcerate one person. And he's throwing in the cost of overtime for correctional employees, health care for inca the incarcerated people. And we know, because we've thrown the book at so many people, we have a geriatric population now in our jails and prisons. And we know that as you get older, caring for those people becomes more and more expensive. And he says, as of March 1st of this month, Philadelphia County incarcerates approximately 6,000 people at a total annual cost of around $360 million per year. The cost of one year of unnecessary incarceration for one person is enough money to pay the salary of a beginning teacher a beginning police officer, a social worker, even one of you, he says to his assistant DAs, is enough to pay for an addiction counselor. Wow. I'm not, I, this is just the beginning. I cannot tell you how extraordinary this memo is. And then he tell I mean, I can't believe this guy. I love him. I want him. Okay. He says, for instance, if you are seeking a sentence of three years incarceration, state on the record, he tells his prosecutors, that the cost of the taxpayer will be minimally $126,000, if not more. And then you have to explain why you believe asking the taxpayers to pay that money is justified. in a very serious matter where you're asking for 26 years incarceration, you must state on the record that that will cost to put that person in jail $1,060,000 minimal. That's just minimal. It's not the real cost, more like $2 million. And then you must explain why you believe it's worth it for the safety of the Commonwealth and the citizenry of Philadelphia to spend that money for 25 years or 26 years when maybe 12 years might do it. And then he goes into their abuse of uh, probation and uh, technical violations of probation which send people back and it's it's just amazing. Uh, and the last thing on the memo, I don't know if I have it all. I think I do. The last thing in all caps is 
requests that there be no violation of probation or parole due to a positive drug test for use of marijuana. Okay? Somebody served their time, they're out, they go to the probation officer, they've even secured employment, they have been good citizens, haven't done anything, but they pee and, oh my God, they smoke some pot. What happens to those people in the past, they are thrown right back into the system and start all over again. And you can see that this DA knows. That's nuts! So, that is the memo. New policies announced February 15th, 2018. And... Um, unbelievable. If that ain't good news, I don't know what is, and I would hope that uh, District Attorney Zapala here in Allegheny County, where we are no different. Do you know that over half the people sitting in the jail there overlooking the, uh, the Allegheny, the Monongahela River, do you know 50% of those have not been convicted of anything. I sort of get sick to my stomach every time I drive by, and I drive by every morning. Because I look in there and I think, there are people sitting in there who have not been convicted of a crime. And if they had money, if they had the resources I have, they wouldn't be sitting in there. They can't make bail. They're sitting in there because they're poor. That's where we are as a country. It's Dickensian England. It's worse in some respects. Caller. Hello. Caller? Hi, Lynn. Hi. Hi. The, um, that's, that's because the whole damn things became a big business. Yes. Same way with the Pentagon. It's a big business. The more more we spend on the defense, the more conflicts and wars, the more we spend in the, on the uh, police, the more police, more arrest, privatize the prisons, put them in prison. It's just a big money maker is all it is anymore. No, it really it, turned out to be that in both cases, I say. No, you're absolutely right. It's like, it's like Dwight Eisenhower on his way out warning us about the military-industrial complex. And that was, uh, obviously, that came true. We paid no attention. And that drives our foreign policy now. And you can bet that the uh, prison industrial complex has driven in large part through their lobbyists, uh, you know, with legislatures and the Congress, our current stupid, beyond stupid, criminal injustice system. So you're absolutely right. And we've got to take them on because we're footing the bill. You're footing the bill. Would you rather have that money go to keep somebody who smoked pot in jail or would you rather have it go to uh, have another teacher? Have right. a, yeah, well. It's but what I really call about is this press secretary. How dare she say this guy's a bad actor, this Andrew McCade, who spent his life in the uh, CIA or whatever he was in, and he's got a pretty good career. It, I mean, the guy is 
probably stellar when it comes. And she's going to say he's a bad actor. No, your president, the guy that you're talking for, is the bad actor. He's the criminal. And eventually, I hope they get the rotten son of a bitching bastard anyway. I can't stand any of this. It's it's unbelievable. They're going to he's going to try to fire him, which I don't think he will, over the stupid well, made up story they made up. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell it's you. Unbelievable. I'll tell you what's particularly cruel, but these are cruel people, is that this guy is, what, two days or three days away from uh, securing his pension, um, and he's intending to retire, and the only reason for doing this to him is to deprive him of that financial security that he worked for. That is the only reason. He's leaving, okay, one way or the other, and if they were to fire him... It is their way of depriving him of that, and that's just cruel. But that's who these oh. guys are. That's who these guys are. So I, I hear you. There has to be justice in the end of all this with Trump. I mean, there has to be. If there ain't, it's going to be so disappointing. Well, uh, this guy is no damn good. No. No damn good. No. Right. But um, thank you. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. You. Have a nice weekend. You do. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Um, no, he's no damn good. That's, that's true. And Mueller's now subpoenaing of, uh, the records of the Trump business empire, uh, suggests that, uh, maybe there's a little more possibility that we will see justice. Because you can imagine, maybe, the cesspool that is the Trump business empire. You can imagine. Does this guy follow the rules? No. Uh, There must be so many violations of all kinds of laws and regulations of outright thievery, lying, money laundering. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. And my... You know, you gotta you gotta wonder, and I I can't believe he wouldn't. I can't believe that um, that Mueller also doesn't have his tax returns, uh, which you know we wanted to see before we elected him, uh, but did not. Um, and a, a a prosecutor can get his hands on those, I think, like that. Uh, so he's probably got those. And then if he gets all the all these other records, wow. There is some thought that um, even though I, uh, there's been rumors that uh, Don Jr. and his wife uh, were going to divorce, um, the fact that she filed for divorce uh, yesterday, I believe, um, also makes some people suspect that that might be an effort to funnel things to her or for her to pull away from and get out while the getting's good before he goes off to uh, prison. Let's put more people like uh, Donald Trump and his despicable sons and all his, uh, his crooked cronies, let's put them in our prisons and let out black kids who do what I do. Hmm? Smoke pot.
Mark uh, writes about uh, the president's new uh, chief economic advisor. Larry Kudlow, married three times, former cocaine addict. <laughs> yeah, and a TV star, because that's really important. Trump completely identifies with those folks. Has been tapped by Trump to be, as he? He should fit right in. You can bet Larry never spent jail time for his extracurricular activities. After all, he was at Bear Stearns. Uh, but, and he left Bear Stearns because he was uh, snorting up uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. Uh, Stormy Daniels seems to have a better lawyer than, <laughs> than all those lawyers surrounding Trump. Well, I'll tell you what else she has. She's got a better case. I mean, that's the truth, too. And uh, her, uh, I would think, can't-miss interview on 60 Minutes is uh, due a week from Sunday. So uh, be there or be square. Um, but uh, Mark tells us that the, uh, her attorney was on Morning Joe uh, this morning talking about proof of physical threats made to her. Uh, yeah, and well, Mark, you said what I just said. You said it first, though, I admit, but I didn't see it. 60 Minutes, maybe, must-see TV. Oh, God. Uh, we got a caller? Hello, caller. Hello, Lynn. This is uh, Jeff from beautiful Green County. Hi. Uh, Hi, Jeff. <laughs> how you doing? Fine. Um, yeah, I, it's, <laughs> what is it with uh, these, these um, conservatives and uh, all these celebrities and everything? I mean... They, they're always accusing of, of liberals of being so starstruck and all this kind of stuff. And like conservatives seem to be wanting to like put these guys in office all the time and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's in, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you mean, Ronald Reagan? Right. Right. Bad actors in more ways than one. Ronald Reagan who, as we look, I mean, was a much better bet, obviously, than Doc. I mean, they're even getting, I mean, Ronald Reagan you can make a case for, especially yeah, in, in uh, retrospect. Yeah, yeah. But Donald Trump, I mean, who's who's next? Kid, yeah. Kid Rock? Yeah, right. Oh, dear God. Yeah, all right. Uh, Duck Dynasty, oh, there's your cabinet. And, and they think, think that, like, liberals, like hang on every word of all the the liberal uh, actors that are out there, and really, I could like myself, I could care less what what like uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, I can't even think. Uh, I can't even think of a liberal actor to like to talk about about the. the what? As an example, that's how much I care about like their opinions. Oh, you know, okay. I, I I got you. Uh, the, Sean Penn or yeah, um, so. somebody, um, whatever. Susan so, Sarandon. Um, uh, you were talking yesterday about uh, Toys R Us, and I was reading a uh, thing that uh, it's not necessarily that Amazon uh, hurt them as much as they hurt themselves some. That they were pretty saddled in debt, and plus they were owned by a venture capital company that also settled them in debt. 
so that, oh, I'm sure. I'm, that hurt them. Yeah, I'm it, sure it's it more. Was, I think it was like Bain Capital that oh. was involved with them. Oh, really? Bain Capital, so, Romney's, Romney's old stomping grounds. Yep. Um, yep. Also, and, uh, I also was reading. Um, I heard radio is, is declaring bankruptcy. Who is? So that was a, that was a shocker. Who is? And, uh, wait, wait, wait. What'd you say? Who's... And another one that kind of hits close to home uh, for Pittsburghers, uh, Neko, uh, you know, the candy company. Yeah. Um, out of Massachusetts, they make sweet tarts and candy buttons and those little hearts that like have little uh, things on them and yeah. everything and cork bars. Uh-oh. Is saying that if they can't buy, can't find a buyer for their plant by May sixth, that they're going to have to close. Okay, there you and go. And let all four hundred of their workers go. So. <sighs> okay. Uh, so much for you know. Is this all winning and everything? You know, with all these companies closing. Yeah, <laughs> really. I, I uh, mean, my head's yeah. spinning with all the winning. Yeah. Well, okay. Thanks yeah. for that bad news uh, that I, I that I must have missed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm just I'm a little upset about uh, Neko because you know, Clark bars were like uh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I love them. So, okay, I can do without those stupid yeah. little hearts at Valentine's Day with you know, be mine printed on them. Yeah, but yeah, yeah Clark bars. Jeez, come on yeah. guys, go out there and buy some Clark bars. And hey, thank you. Yeah, maybe somebody else will buy them, buy the the rights to them, and save the save the Clark bar. Yeah, so. there you go. Thank you, thank you. Pre- okay, appreciate that's all for it. Now. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um. So the Washington Post had an interesting piece today um, about you know the what we can expect as to see. Um, in terms of the White House people departing. And uh, McMaster's, for instance, um, is is apparently going to be out, but they, they don't want, the, the, the White House, they say, is concerned that they don't want to humiliate him, knowing full well. So apparently they did want to humiliate Rex Tillerson. So those things become like, it's just, it's beyond belief. Don't want to. Um... Here's what the president wants McMaster's gone. Listen to this. He thinks McMaster is too rigid and that his briefings go on too long and seem irrelevant. Excuse me. This is the guy who has to sit with the president who won't read his daily briefing. This is the guy who has to verbally, Mr. President, you should know, blah, 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 blah. And pre- the president thinks, that's a, I don't want to know it. And can you do that in 30 seconds? Too long. So you got to get out of here. He's thinking of maybe um, replacing him with a guy named Keith Kellogg, uh, also John Bolton, uh, who is like one of the most terrifying humans uh, still walking the earth. I know someone who knows him and has worked with him, and he is, I just want to say, <laughs> he is a scary character. Scary character. 
Um, Keith Kellogg, another possibility, he's now chief of staff of the National Security Council. And it says here that Trump really likes him and that he has Kellogg travel with him a lot when he's on domestic trips because, quote, the president likes his company and thinks he's fun. This is how this president chooses who's going to be the number one guy in terms of national security at the White House. And the other <coughs> loathsome being who may take McMaster's job, as I said, is Bolton. And the Washington Post reports thusly, Trump also thinks Bolton, who regularly praises the president on Fox News, is good on television. So these are the criteria for being in some of the most consequential positions uh, in our country right now. Safeguarding uh, the nation, the national security, and positioning ourselves in this roiling world of ours. The criteria seem to be the president should think you're fun and good on television and he must like your company. Um, what else? Uh, other people on shaky ground, Ben Carson with his $31,000 dining room set. Uh, Scott Pruitt, who uh, apparently has been really jockeying to be the Secretary of State, was jockeying a lot, and they didn't like that. And, um, oh, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, uh, who just spent $139,000 to renovate his office doors. Jeez, that, I mean, that makes Ben Carson's uh, $31,000 dining room table look like nothing. $139,000 to renovate his office doors. And speaking of Zenke, uh, have you heard this disgusting story? He was uh, before a, uh, I think, a House committee uh, yesterday, and he was being questioned by a congresswoman from Hawaii. And she was asking him about some provision in, uh, that is under the Interior Department that preserves the history of the, Jap the Japanese-American internment uh, during World War II. Um, and uh, Representative Colleen Hanabusa, who is a fourth-generation American, that beats me, I'm third-generation, fourth-generation American of Japanese ancestry. She asked Zinke, are, are you committed to continuing uh, these programs, blah, 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 blah. And his response, the minute she stopped her question, was, Konnichiwa.
Konnichiwa. That is a, uh, a greeting in Japanese. Can you imagine? And I suppose if uh, the congressperson who questioned him was a Native American, he, he would have, before answering the question, say, how? Konnichiwa. And he even got it wrong because I guess you say konnichiwa in the afternoon. There's a different greeting for the morning. And, and, and the congresswoman after, I mean, was stunned, obviously, uh, said, uh, I think it's still Ohio goza mazam. I, I don't know what the, I can't, it, it's, it's a whole different Japanese thing. She's an American. She's not Japanese. This, this is racism. This is a guy who looks at this American and sees a Japanese because she's not white. This is the guy who spent, what, $129,000 or $139,000 on his uh, doors. Also, where did I read that um, the VA secretary now there's such dissension in his uh, department that he has had to now pay for an armed guard to stand outside his office. <laughs> this is the Trump administration. No problems here. And I just want to leave you with one thing. Um, uh, a guy who's writing, I really like Charles Pierce, writes for Esquire, uh, quoted a part of a speech that was given by the president 50 years ago. That would be Lyndon Baines Johnson. And this was a speech given to the Congress, the joint session, after the horror of Selma, after, after um, the you know, just the the brutal attack on uh, people, Americans marching peacefully by police in Selma, Alabama. This is the attack in which uh, now Congressman John Lewis, as a young man, was almost killed. And this was just days after the Selma attack. And President Johnson went in front of the probably almost 99.9% all-white male <laughs> Congress and said this in his southern accent. There is no Negro problem. There is no southern problem. There is no northern problem. There is only an American problem. And we are met here tonight as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans. We are met here as Americans to solve that American problem. This was the first nation in the history of the world to be founded with a purpose 
The great phrases of that purpose still sound in every American heart, north and south. All men are created equal. Government by the consent of the governed. Give me liberty or give me death. Those are not just clever words. Those are not just empty theories. In their name, Americans have fought and died for two centuries. And tonight, around the world, they stand there as guardians of our liberty. Those words are a promise to every citizen that he shall share in the dignity of man. This dignity cannot be found in a man's possessions. It cannot be found in his power or in his position. It really rests on his right to be treated as a man equal in opportunity to all others. It says that he shall share in freedom. He shall choose his leaders, educate his children, and provide for his family according to his ability and his merits as a human being. To apply any other test, to deny a man his hopes because of his color or race, his religion or place of birth, is not only to do injustice, it is to deny America and to dishonor the dead who gave their lives for American freedom. And he goes on to say, I want you to pass this civil rights bill. From the window where I sit with the problems of our country, I recognize that outside this chamber is the outraged conscience of a nation, the grave concern of many nations, and the harsh judgment of history. But even if we pass this bill, the battle will not be over. What happened in Selma is part of a far larger movement which reaches into every section and state of America. It is the effort of American Negroes to secure for themselves the full blessings of American life. Their cause must be our cause too, because it is not just Negroes, but really it is all of us who must overcome this crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice. And we shall overcome. That's a president. 50 years ago. 50 years ago. All righty, guys, thank you. It's been a great week. I've enjoyed it immensely. Hope you have too. And uh, I'll see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.